the premise we have is that you really do, you wouldn't be here if you didn't believe something about that essay you wrote to get into medical school or nursing school or, right? Dear sir, please, 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 please let me into LSU Medical School. If you do, I'll, I love humanity. Did I mention that? And um, I want to relieve suffering and um, you did and you do, right? And um, I much prefer speaking to younger audiences because the concrete hasn't hardened. You remember those promises you made to God. You remember, if you're like me, that you promise all sorts of things to get through organic chemistry and the MCAT, right? So you're on the line already, and you haven't cast it off. So the problem is, of course, um, that it's very, very difficult to get done what you want to get done, whether you're a dentist or a nurse or a PA or a physician, whatever it is you're doing in healthcare, you're swimming against the stream. As I said earlier this morning, um, medicine and all of its manifestations is like the American dream on steroids. And we live in America, so it's, it's bad. And everybody um, is going to tell you otherwise. And it may include people very close to you, your family members probably, maybe even people like your mom and dad. So if you're going to get where you want to go, you're going to have to, from the beginning, kind of gird up your loins and be ready to, to go against the stream. Um, Last year, uh, I did a talk here about missionary attrition, uh, meaning what happens, how long do people stay on the field? And it was really shocking to learn that pr about a fourth of missionaries don't make it through their first term, their first four years or so. A good missionary agency has an attrition rate of all, about 5%. In some agencies, it's much worse than that. So even if you make it all the way to being a missionary, it's tough. It's really tough. Um, if we all stood up and pledged, there would only be a certain subset of us who would make it through. And so we all have to recognize the difficulties that we're facing and be prepared. To use the language from this morning, we have to know that there are, um, what are there? You're a stumbling block to me. Golly. Tell us a little nervous about that talk this morning. And um, I really, am, I was just going to not even show up for this one. <laughs> Got that one over with. And um, yeah, there are stumbling blocks. There are things that are going to be in your way for sure to use that language. So, um, what is he going to say about that? Um, the Christian church has this tradition for centuries. Spiritual warfare is sort of fighting a three-headed beast. So there's sort of three entities or personalities that have to fight in your struggle to do the right thing. Anybody remember what they are? Satan, self, the world. That's right, you got it. Satan, self, and the world. They all mix in together sometimes, right? Sometimes you're sure when you're in the world, you're looking at Satan in the eyes, and sometimes he's inside your head, and sometimes he's in the mirror. Um, but these are the traditional enemies of our soul and the enemies of your progress in the place that you want to get to. So, um, I have this pithy little thing I tell medical students every year. Um, that you have to be careful about this vortex. It's just another way of talking about the attractiveness of the prestige of medicine and its affiliated professions. So we all know what a vortex is, right? Think of, a, think of your favorite toilet, right? It goes around and around and around and around and around, and at the top it's not so powerful, but you get in the middle of it, you get a pretty good pull, and at the bottom you're heading down that hole and who knows where afterwards. And 
it's a it's a difficulty that I urge people at the very beginning of their medical careers to realize and to recognize and to properly fear and respect it. So um, I made a silly little acronym for SAFE, the SAFE vortex. The four things that are sort of be your competitors will be competing with obedience for you. So who wants to take a guess at S? It's not success. That would be a good one. Security. Who said security? No one's going to admit to it? Okay. All right, so security from what? Financial security. Right? I would like that, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, many of you have or have and will continue to borrow money at a ridiculous rate to pursue your educations. Some of you are going to be walking around, you know. Here I'm going to preach to you about the dangers of materialism. You're like, he's out of his mind. I owe people money. For the rest of my life, I owe people money. But financial security is a, something that drives a lot of people. I, I talked at Louisville yesterday at the med school, and a kid came afterwards to talk to me about it. He's like, really worried about my loans. I, I want to feel financially safe. What other kind of security? What do you mean by personal? Physical security. You want to tell everybody where you're preparing to go? Yeah. If you make a list of all the countries in the world alphabetically, this one's at the top because it starts with AF. Been there. Not safe. Don't we want to be safe? We want our families to be safe. Are there other kinds of security? Job security would be nice. What do you mean by that? Spiritual security is an answer up here. Like a say, like uh, comfort zone, where you can you got it wrapped up. Yeah, that's a dangerous place to be, isn't it? Okay, I'm sure there are others. So yes, that's in my little mnemonic. S is security. What do you think A is? I'm sorry, affluence. That's what A is. Affluence. Um, affluence is the water that you swim in, Americans. Right? The, the non-Americans in here can nod their heads. The people who live overseas will go, oh, yeah, but we're all like, what? I'm not, you know, because I compare myself to, I don't know, Paris Hilton or somebody, right? <laughs> I'm not rich. Of course you know you are objectively, right? I mean, anyone in this room almost certainly is in the .000001 top percent of wealth in the history of the, of the universe, of the earth. We'll just use the earth. I'm not sure how well the people are doing on the other planets. But. <laughs> We're doing fine, okay? Um, you've heard these talks before. If you live under a roof, if you've got climate control in your house, if you've got a toilet, an indoor toilet, these are all things, If you, goodness, if you have a college education, you're rich. You're wealthy. And so it's so powerful that we sometimes miss it, right? And it creeps into our heads, even Christian people, when they're job searching. Now, I interview a lot of people to work at our Christian Health Center, and it really, I think, it, it, it kind of rises up higher on the list than maybe it ought to be. Salaries and stuff like that. The expectation of affluence is pretty powerful. I wonder if anybody would be willing to share how you fight that for yourself. There's the old stand in the mirror and yell at yourself technique. Shut up, you're wrong, no, no. It's really not that good, you know. It works once or twice, but what else? What else can you do to fight this one? Pray. You can pray. Yeah. 
Oh, boy. We're going to get to that. That was great. You go on a mission trip. So you're basically you see how other people live. You get this sort of hello, Disneyland's where I live, right? Okay, good. Yeah. Um, always good to reconnect with reality, isn't it, instead of where we live. Okay, so you got A. What do you think F is? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Family. So where I live in Memphis, Tennessee, <clears throat> this can trump anything, right? This, this can trump anything, and they'll spank you with God on the backside of it trumping you, right? Because the Lord would never want you to take your grandchild or their put something in, charity begins at home. That ain't in the Bible, but it comes up, you know. I think some of us, um, particularly in families that have a, a strong uh, work ethic, maybe some Asian families especially, where there is an expectation of what we're going to do, especially with the education that we've acquired. You know, there's an expectation of what we're going to do and what we're going to represent for our families. And we're, we're always worried rightfully, uh, about the protection and safety of the people we love the most. But it can't win. It can't trump, right? Okay, what about E? I don't think you'll get E. Environment. Education. These are not bad answers. Um, What was that? Expectations. Why did you say entertainment? Um, that does things like that keep our, our eyes off of our goals and stuff is things that give us pleasure. We want to make a place for ourselves to do something fun. And so if you deny yourself that, why? That's just hard. So I'm sure that most of you couldn't hear that. But this you don't have a microphone. Don't be sorry. <laughs> um, the notion... Um, you know, Tim Keller says that our hearts are idol factories, right? We're always looking for something to give us pleasure and give us meaning. And it's so easy to do in our culture. Like, I love these TV commercials. Not that I watch TV. But these TV commercials about the people checking their smartphones in the bathroom and, you know, running into people and the bride coming down the aisle checking out her phone. Because we all know people like that, right? I – it was – Went against my urges this morning when I actually turned this son of a gun off to get up in front of you all. It's still off. I don't know how I've made it these few hours, right? Okay. In this time, there's going to be some people in this room who are going to be tempted to be checking their... Did I get a new Facebook friend request from that person I met in the last session? What are you laughing about? (laughs) Okay. We could have ten new friends. Now, not really any single deep conversation or connection necessarily, but we can fill our minds with all kinds of stuff. And this temptation doesn't go away on the mission field. I never saw 24 until I went to Afghanistan. Right? <laughs> American missionaries, they get all the best stuff, right? Just one more. You think he's going to make it again? Young, young students especially, the incredible number of possibilities. I spend a lot of time with younger people, and it's just it's hard to get them to quit thinking all the time about going rock climbing and U2s in Denver and all these great entertaining things. But it can compete with our, 
our desires to stay focused on the living God and to move forward where we want to go. So you got to deal sort of ruthlessly with entertainment. Has anybody got any strategies for that besides turning off your phone? No TV rule. Like it. Not sure I could pull it off, but I like it. So the uh, that's a variation of the no Bible, no breakfast rule, right? Yeah. You get pretty hungry with that. So she practices Sabbath. Sabbath practice is is great. If you can do it, it's a great practice. It says, you don't rule over me. I'm going to take a break. God rested. We'll do it too. It's great. Great select suggestion. How else do you fight against entertainment? What's that? Kill your TV. That's a good strategy. Wait at least the third week before you see Avatar. So I have a friend uh, who's an artist, and I ask him to do some pictures for me. So, again, there's some of you who are just entering the vortex. I just talked to a woman over here who wants to go to med school and starting next year. So right now she's basically, well, she's a grown-up. She's been a nurse. But you start medical training or dental training sort of like this souped-up college student, right? And And you're at the top of the vortex, and like the toilet, there's not a whole lot of pull, right? You have all these... Again, these really great idealistic ideas, and they haven't been beaten out of you yet, but you're already in it. Some of you are, are already beginning to feel the pull. And the more you go, and it doesn't take long, at least I'm, I'm speaking about medical school because that's my experience, but I think this is true for the other disciplines too. You get into it a year or two, and it really gets powerful. Okay? In my case, when I started going on the wards and doing the clinical stuff in the third year of medical school, you start meeting these really cool doctors, you know, and they'll put an arm around you and say, son, you might just could be a blah, blahologist like me. Maybe. You think, oh, I would like that. I want to be like you. Your coat's really long. People fetch you coffee and things like that. Start kind of get in the groove and, and the expectations that, that people have. And you start learning, unfortunately. You know, I started medical school thinking that all of it, first of all, I, was, I looked around that freshman year lecture hall, I thought, these people are going to be doctors. <laughs> this is hilarious. <laughs> but they are. They are doctors. And then I thought foolishly for about ten minutes, like, all doctors are equal. You know, it doesn't matter. We're all doctors. We're all buddies. No, that's not true at all, right? There's definitely a totem pole. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But if you're not careful... Your butt's in the air, if you'll pardon the expression, right? And it can just happen that fast, okay? People with the greatest of motives, people who entered medicine or nursing or dentistry for the sole purpose of being a missionary or serving the needy end up somewhere completely different. So, um, I've got, and I, I really do, Todd and others, I'd love to help, have some help with this for the next 30 minutes or so. I've got some things that... I, that are sort of positives that we recommend and some things that we would urge you to be careful about and to avoid, some specific things. And obviously, they're all kind of backwards. Like, you could say, be careful not to marry the wrong person, which we'll say that for sure. Or you could say, marry the right person if you're supposed to get married. And I don't want to even start that, please. Um, But 
let's kind of go. All right, so this morning's diatribe was the most important thing, right? The beginning point for a disciple is absolute surrender. The beginning point for a disciple is every morning, again, committing spiritual suicide. Please, please, please let me die to me and live for you. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Lord's Prayer here in another session. But um, it's the non-negotiable, nothing else. Really, the truth is if we get this straight, this part straight, really everything else is just kind of housekeeping. If we surrender to God, he keeps his promises. He speaks to us and he guides us and leads us. And he will do more with us than we imagine possible if we're not holding back. So we already talked a lot about that. Um, The next thing I would advise is for you to join the military. (laughs) Right, Stephen? Okay, so this is not what I mean. What do you think this slide is supposed to trigger my memory to talk with you about? Disciplines. That's right. What kind of disciplines? Spiritual disciplines, right? Spiritual disciplines. Uh, This is the thing I mentioned this morning. The Wheaties who are failing their Bible literacy tests. And we're not going to have a show of hands to see how many of you could successfully complete this this test. But I've seen, um, even in my 20-ish years of mentoring, a progressive um, lack of biblical literacy. Okay, And I think spiritual disciplines, we think about the basics. It doesn't get more basic than reading your Bible and praying. There are certainly other disciplines for sure. But the Bible is um, everything. For the, for the disciple. The Bible is, is the loudest and clearest way that the Holy Spirit speaks the very truth of God to us. It's the way the Spirit in the Word talks to the Spirit in our heart and teaches us and leads us. So we have to, have to, have to develop a taste for the Bible. Even the hard parts. It's like your vegetables. You just have to eat them, Right? Medical students will have amazing discipline in preparing for examinations. They've got a board exam. They've got part one of the boards. They'll do weeks of preparation, amazing preparation. And many, not all, but many are far, far less disciplined about studying the scriptures. Anybody? The rest of y'all are liars. (laughs) Okay. So, how, 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 I really, this is not a rhetorical question, how do we get ourselves soaking our fat heads in the Bible more? Study with other people. Okay? Bible study with other people. Makes sense? No Bible, no breakfast, except for those of you who like to skip breakfast. Yeah. You should make it no Bible, no breakfast, or lunch, or something like that. Should we coerce ourselves to read the Bible? It's not ideal, but if that's what it takes. That's why I have an alarm clock. I hate it, right? But I do have to get out of bed. What else can we do? Yeah, I'm sorry. Like 
like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. 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 Yeah. Yes. Having somebody keep you accountable. Yeah. Who shows you how to value the Bible. Someone mentoring you in that. Yeah. That's good. Memorization. Okay, I really love that. And I, I think my next slide is, um, well, this is about prayer. We'll... No, I do know. I do know. Let me go forward and then we'll go back. This is a book that was written in 1978. Some of you have seen or are familiar with it. Some of you are not. Richard Foster, um, The Celebration of Discipline is a book that advocates this very thing that she's just suggested, that really the spiritual disciplines work together. And I'll tell you the honest truth for myself in medical training. Every now and then, I had to jumpstart my Bible time and my prayer life by fasting. Okay, And I don't like to do that either. But I, And I don't think that I earn God's favor. I don't like punch the clock enough to finally get my Bible time back together. But I, for a time, use another discipline, as you've just suggested, uh, to try to develop a deeper longing for and love for the Word. And then sometimes you just do it because you're supposed to do it, right? There are, there are mountaintop experiences in the Scriptures. Sometimes those goes on, goes on, go on for weeks. That's great and beautiful, and we should be grateful for it. And then everybody probably has had dry, hard times. We can't hear the Lord at all, you know, but you can't quit. And the other disciplines can be really helpful at those times. Fasting and solitude, stuff in community, service, all those sorts of things in the celebration of this book. The sheep was just to make the same point that I already made. According to Jesus, if you're his disciple, that means God before the creation world decided you belong to Jesus. Right? That means he's your shepherd. You're his stupid little sheep. Okay? I like that. All right? And what a shepherd does is he teaches his sheep to hear the voice and the directions. And if we'll quiet ourselves, if we'll listen especially to the Bible, but in all the disciplines, he'll speak to us. And the truth is, if you're going to AF land or places like that, you need to know how to feed yourself from that book. Right? We can still get, you can still get your John Piper podcast over there probably, all right? But if you're in the real trenches, you need the capacity to hear from God yourself, not from somebody else. It's always good to have other people teaching us. It's a gift of the Spirit that he gives to the church. But we need the capacity to hear from God ourselves. There's no two ways about it. Okay. All right. Um, The health center that we founded in 1995, um, it was a work of four of us, okay? And we made a blood pack with each other when we were medical students that we didn't know exactly what it was going to look like, but we were going to work together to try to make God look great and serve people. So um, the point of this is you need other people who speak your language, right? You need people who will, as we've been talking about already, who get what you're trying to do. And, and we'll speak the truth to you when everybody else, everybody else, is telling you that you're out of your mind. Sometimes you need those people to tell you to quit dating that girl or guy. Or go and have your quiet time and shut up. 
whatever it is. We're a body. We need each other. And I think, frankly, if it weren't for these close friends and the relationship I had as a medical student together, the fellowship that we had, which really functioned as the church for us then, uh, I don't know that I would have, I wouldn't be where I am now. So if you want to be in one of these places out on this map, we're in a tough place, I hope you have a few people, one or two at least around you, who, who get it and get you. Have you got that? Not having that leads to really a terrible loneliness and alienation. What are your secrets for having fellowship and connection? Got any tricks, strategies? Look everywhere for like-minded people. Sniff them out. Hey, you come here. Broaden your horizons. Be willing to listen to other people, connect with other people outside. Yes, sir. Life group, meaning a group of people committed to each other, a small group, or yeah, people that you actually let them know who you are and who they are, and you love each other and do all those one another commandments in the New Testament: love one another, rebuke one another, pray for one another. Somebody, yes, sir. So maintaining a relationship that was very helpful to you for a long time, maybe even before you have, after you have real connection. You know, college and high school, there's such rich times, and we thought we were so busy, you know, but we really had a lot of time to develop and connect with relationships and grow in our faith, and then we get a lot busier with this other stuff and we get older. And uh, Maintaining those friendships is very, very helpful, right? And you don't want to forget this, too. We all have a duty to each other, right? Part of this isn't it's like who's going to help me keep my stuff together. It's who can I, you know, help fan their flame a little bit too. Do you need that? And this Lone Ranger Christian stuff, it's one of these American symptoms. We're individualistic. We are individualistic. Even in a church, we're individualistic. You find churches that can't work with other churches and parachurch ministries and mission agencies who can't get along with each other because we're all made up of bullheaded individuals. We're Americans, dang it, right? We need each other. We need the encouragement from other people, other believers. The Holy Spirit gifts people so that we can all help each other. Yes, ma'am. If you don't make it, I don't make it. Oh, oh, if you don't make it, I don't Okay. I was thinking you were weaving something and making it because I'm an idiot. Okay, yeah. So your well-being is tied to my well-being. Right. Okay. We're going down together would be the negative. Yeah, good. Okay. Okay. So, again, I'm not proposing either enrolling in the military or becoming a Franciscan monk. But the the task that this conference is all about is going to be done by a subset of the church that's called out. Okay, people who have a higher commitment, a more intense faith, a commitment to more difficult obedience. And so, uh, and Lord willing, we backwardly influence the church, right, by being psychos. 
long enough. The psychos go from being psychos to our old friend Rick. We always liked Rick. You know, he's, I don't know. He, well, no, we always got along with him. Well, he's a, kind of an angry young man for a while, but he got over that, and we like him now. Okay. We've got to bond together. We've got to encourage each other. It's a, it's a smaller group of more committed people. We have to value it. Okay. That's what we're doing for time. Yeah, here's sort of the plus and minus, right? You all have seen this before. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So that's the positive if we have the right people around us. And then the negative, this is a, actually a Paul quoting a Greek poet. Uh, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. We need a balancer, don't we? Like in medical school, I didn't want to hang out just with Christian people. I wanted to have exposure to the other people in class, and we were involved in sort of evangelistic outreach also. But I needed uh, to be careful because you know, New Orleans is a place where you can, before you know, it, you're having way too much fun. <laughs> you got to be careful as we reach out, uh, as we hang out with folks. Okay, let's see what else we got. Yeah, church. And talk about church. Okay. Um, when we were first year medical students, myself and those other people I showed you, it was really about seven or eight of us, we did something that at the time seemed really scary to us. We went into a housing project in New Orleans. It was the Fisher Housing Project, which doesn't exist after Katrina. But um, at the time, 23 years old, going into a housing project in New Orleans to do Bible clubs. That's all we were doing. Two hours on a Saturday morning. You know, we'd line up our cars in a motorcade and make sure we'd rush in and all run in together. Everybody get shot. And we would have just a little bit of exposure to these neighbors. And um, it was a little tiny bit of risk. It was a little bit of getting out of my comfort zone. Somebody talked about their comfort zone over here. Um, I wonder if you're doing any of that. I don't, I don't mean just a housing project. I mean something kind of scary. Not, we're not thrill-seekers. Well, we kind of are. But we're, we want to be obedient. We want to um, have to be pushed in a place where we're not necessarily comfortable. And we want to make a habit of it. So starting young is really good. Um, I was, I think, 38 when we moved from the suburbs to the inner city, and I wish we'd done it 15 years before. I wish we'd had the courage to do it before. When I started medical school, don't do this, okay, if you go to LSU. Um, I, I got accepted, and I said, okay, I'm going to move back to New Orleans. I wasn't living in New Orleans at the time. See, I need to live close, kind of close to school and close to a library, and I like to work out, so it's going to be close to a gym and a place to study. I said that already. And, you know, there's some social things I like in New Orleans, too. So that's how I decided where I was going to live. I didn't think, like, hey, I wonder if even in these difficult four years, God might have something I could learn, even in this time where I think I don't have any time at all. So my, my friend Stephen Euler over here, go ahead, got to show us his hand. Stephen is um, going to be the lead doctor for a new Christian health center in New Orleans. And he moved, we suckered him into being Hampton. He moved into the neighborhood when he was a first year medical, first year? Second year, sorry. He, he bought a house in a neighborhood where, you know, it's a little sketchy, the, the 
real estate values. He moved in, in he's from Chattanooga, Tennessee, went to Christian schools all his life. Didn't frequent hoods up to that time. Had you? I don't think. <clears throat> Very busy time. None of us is not in a busy time. But he, he went to try to redeem even that time of training and to learn and grow during that time. So when he finished, sold his house to another medical student, he moved for residency, and he moved into a hood there too. Residency is busy too. Is there something, some little risk that you're doing now? Is there some way that you're sort of challenging yourself and forcing yourself out of your comfort zone? Anybody? Yeah. Absolutely. Providing services to Somali refugees in a sketchy neighborhood in Louisville. Sketchy neighborhoods are scary. Somalis can be scary. Not those Somalis that you're helping. Yeah. All right, I'm uncomfortable with that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> a puberty talk. All right, I don't think I'm going to let you say anything more. <laughs> we commend you. <laughs> okay, wow. <laughs> Somebody else have their hand up? Yeah. Yeah. Taking some personal risks and, and trying to develop relationships or connect with people that aren't really your natural. That's our thing, right? We all want to hang out with people like us and feel safe by having people like us around us. To, to do that is the nature of missionary service. We're crossing a culture and trying to bring Jesus with us. Yes? this point then. Okay, scratch, scratch this one. Yeah, get comfortable. You, get comfortable. <laughs> Everybody else, just... <laughs> Street medicine. Going under underpasses and finding people and learning about drug addiction and Getting lied to a time or two, and yeah, it's good. Anybody else? It's a, um, another talk. I love it. The story of David and Goliath. But just to remind you all that um, when he faced this nine-foot giant, it wasn't the first time he'd gone to battle. Remember the story? 
uh, he explains it to Saul. And Saul says, you're ridiculous. You can't go and fight this guy. He's been a killer since you were a kid. He'll eat you. And David said, no, you know, I'm a, your servant's a shepherd. And I'm used to taking care of sheep. And I've, I've fought bears and lions. I did. I worked my way up to monster Goliath, killers, uh, eaters of people. He had some training along the way, right? Don't you want that? A little preparation before the giant steps into your field of view. So my, my not-so-gentle encouragement to you is, is there something that could be training for you now? If you don't have it already, maybe if you do have it, you can step it up. You can draw more people into it. You can do it more or... But if you don't have something that meets this criteria, that's a little scary, that's pushing you out of your comfort zone, that makes you trust God a little more, could you find something like that? Most of our cities, if you live in a city, there are people trying to figure out how to reach out to the poor among them, taking risks and doing difficult things. It's not the only way to take risks. Seriously, think about it. Maybe the next time you go overseas, you go to one of these other places that we talked about. So I went um, I went to Ecuador with CMDA when I was a medical student. It was awesome. I loved it, every bit of it. Latin culture, food was great. Ecuadorians were great. Andes Mountains, riding the buses thinking you're going to die all the time. It's good stuff. A lot of us, it's a phenomenon that my friend Chuck... Dr. Chuck Charles Fielding has talked about a lot of us, the first new culture that we meet when we go overseas, we just fall in love with it and we, we stick, we get stuck there. And so remember again what we were saying this morning, this really isn't about us having a good experience necessarily, it's about the glory of God. And, and there are, depending on who's counting, 1,500, maybe even 6,000 unengaged people groups that were part of this bigger strategy that God is is bringing about across the world to bring people to himself. And there were already a lot of Christian disciples in that really cool place that I went to. So it may be that some of us need to think, the next time I've got some time where I can get away for a week or two, that I go to a place that's a little scarier. And I see about that. I pray about it. I I find out if that might be a way that God's pushing me. Um, I love this picture. Um, I literally, I was looking at it last night, I was getting ready, and it made me scared. (laughs) Look at the water below. Yeah, exactly. It is awesome. Okay, so here's the funniest, most awesome thing about it. What Jesus is asking you to do is that without the harness. (laughs) Yeah, in the fog. Maybe that would be better. I don't know. You see the bottom. For your own good. For our own good. We're almost out of time. Um, I don't really have any interest in the Arizona State football team, but I was looking for um, an image to help me think of the notion of um, resistance or, or, uh, you know, a hard thing to come up against. And these guys came up in Google Images at 1.30 this morning. So... Um, if you do 
any of these things that you're thinking about and praying about, you will most certainly have someone kind of get in your face. And again, it might be, in the case of David and Goliath, maybe you remember the story, it was his oldest brother. Was, uh, his father was so old, Jesse was so old, that his oldest brother, and I can't for Eliab, I think is his name, um, tried to humiliate David in front of everybody. Like, who did you leave those few sheep with, you miserable, tired little shepherd gnat? That's the living version, message version of it. You don't. You just came out here to watch the fight. This sort of belittling. You're a spiritual thrill seeker, David, from his own brother. Really from the, the emerging patriarch of their family. That's what the oldest brother was. When his dad's already old. Um, you just need to be ready for that. Okay? And we were talking, again, about this alphabetical country. I've been there many times. And I've talked to lots of people who've lived there. And lots of folks... Younger people, when they go, their parents are legitimately, entirely freaked out about it. For good reason. Right? But if people are obedient and faithful and they hang in there, and their parents maybe even come over and see it, or they, they start to get it, and they turn, and they go from being the defensive line to being cheerleaders supporting you, and your faithfulness and your obedience actually flushes back into your family and works a grace act in your parents or your grandparents, whoever it is, your best friend who has called you a psychopath. If you're not getting pushed back, you need to pray a little bit and figure out why not. But don't think it's not going to be hard to hear from people close to us, the way David heard from his brother, um, those hard words. Okay. I, gosh. We're going to hurry through these. Okay. Don't marry the wrong person. (laughs) You definitely want to write that one down. Okay. I bet everyone in this room could think of someone they know who spiritually was on this trajectory and then he or she married the wrong person and they did this. And it's just, it's almost, uh, you just can't be overcome nearly uh, without the miraculous. You need to, with a very big magnifying glass, look over this young man and this young woman who is talking with you. Okay, I told them I have four daughters now. Boy, um, my oldest, 14, is here. She's going to be start dating in, I don't know, 10, 12 years, I guess. Yeah. said, Amy, don't bring some tired young man in here who tells me he loves Jesus. He better have some evidence. There better be something already in his life where he can, I can point to it. And I can say, all right, son, show me the money. Show me the reality of your commitment to Jesus. Um, Everybody can talk a good game, right? I have a good friend who tells this story. He tells it really sadly, but he was, um, he was working for Campus Crusade. He's an athlete, um, athlete in action, and he was just growing his faith. He started dating one of these it girls, one of these beautiful women, and she seemed to be completely on board with what he was and what he wanted to do. And he said that... Um, one time she even 
got up at 5 in the morning to go duck hunting with him. He really liked to go duck hunting. I'm not advocating shooting helpless animals before the crack of dawn at all. But she acted even like she liked to do that. And he thought, this girl's awesome. He said, she's never gone duck hunting with me ever again. You've got to really think it through. You have to be willing to ask some people you trust, like, hey, is she or he, you think they're legit? Has anybody here got any issues that you need to bring up with me? And then not beat them up when they tell you the truth. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> having a spouse who's not on board with you is like this poor sucker, right? <laughs> You're just not going to get very far, right? You're going to run out of gas, or you're going to fall off the back of that thing. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. All right. This is an easy one, right? Yes. Don't be stupid about money. Don't borrow too much, and don't live too big, and don't get in too much debt, because you got to pay it back. Or you go to jail, you know, you know, one or the other. So, I mean, it's, living simply is a good discipline in every respect. And, um, you know, our whole country is in this mess now, the Western world, because we just control ourselves, we buy too much house, too much everything. Just be careful about that. And the antidote, somebody said it already earlier. Um, oh, let me just quickly say you really can get your loans paid off, right? The Project MedSend people are here, and you should learn about that if you want to. They'll help if you qualify make loan payments while you're overseas and even in some domestic settings. If you're going to stick in the U.S. for a few years like people do with us in Memphis, you can get 25 k a year if you're a primary care provider, 25 k a year tax-free. People can run up $100,000 or more in tax-free loan repayment in over four years' time. So... You really can get them paid off if you want to. It doesn't have to be the, the deal killer. All right, but what I really want to say, and then we gotta, we got to shut it down because there's another thing happening here soon. Um, the antidote for this is to give, okay, and to give even when you don't think you have anything at all, right? I've, I've done this over and over again, talking with medical students. Um, how many of you, I'll ask them, give anything to the poor, and most of them don't? And what's the answer they give me for why not? I'm living on loans. It's not my money. Later on, when I finally get a real job, it's my then I'll start giving away money. Like, really? Do you drink Starbucks coffee? Nice shoes. The real reason to do it, and there's lots of reasons to do it, but here's the real reason to do it. Jesus said it. If you're not faithful when you just got a little, you're not going to be faithful when you get a lot. And I'm telling you, I've seen it for 20 years. I've seen physicians who make four and five and six hundred thousand dollars a year who are in debt because they they can't be generous and they can't control this thing. And I honestly believe if they were giving away 10 or 15% when they were residents or medical students, even though they didn't have two, they were rolling pennies for gas, right? Mac and cheese again. It's some of your lives. Even in that place, being generous and giving some is a remarkably powerful spiritual discipline. And it sets the, the pace. 
It's my wife and I started it when we got married, and it has served us well. I'm not, I don't have any debt, even doing what we do. Don't have a mortgage, don't have a car payment, don't have a vacation home. So if anybody's offering. <laughs> be generous now, and you can be generous later when you have more resources. Okay, we really, I think David Stevens, one of my heroes, is going to be in here in 10 minutes. So thank you for helping with this. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much.